My name's Daryl Powell, and you're listening to Searching for Shyness. Welcome to Searching for Shinies, the football stickable podcast with me, Ketch, and him, Richie Wyatt. Richie, here we are again, podcasting our little hearts out, and boy, oh boy, mm. have we hit upon a rich seam of 90s football content. Daryl Powell, the player who just keeps on giving. I just want to make listeners aware, actually, we recorded this interview at 10.30am, not that you would know it, <laughs> uh, just Powell's energy, his enthusiasm, through the roof, I hadn't even been to David Lloyd yet, infectious. <laughs> yep, that is correct. And on the podcast last week, we talked about how sparse his Wikipedia page is. Obviously, we do a lot of research on players before we speak to them. And when we're promoting episodes, we do a bit of work on you know creating social media content, pictures and stuff, and little bits like that. Try and find a photo of him in a Jamaica shirt. <laughs> Genuinely, try and find one. He's at, he had 21 caps, I promise you, one photo on Google. And in that photo, he's basically sniffing the turf. Were it not for the fact you can read the ridiculously oversized font on the back of his shirt, you can't even be sure it's him. Yeah, he was sent off early in that game. I know, but he's, it's correct. He's against Argentina as well, but he's got absolutely no social footprint whatsoever. He's like a modern-day ghost, <laughs> found only on David Lloyd's CCTV, doing star jumps in the car park, probably. It's just unbelievable. It's amazing we got him. I know. Like, just stay out of the limelight, but we got him. Exactly. Um, so, one play we did talk a little bit about last week was Aljosa Asanovic. And I asked Pauli the question, why didn't it last for him at Derby? Mm. And, you know, was it like a big falling out or anything like that? He didn't allude to anything. He just said how classy he was. So I thought I'd do a little bit of digging to find out more about Asanovic's career. Here is what I've found, okay? So I'm going to talk you through the teams he's played for throughout his career. Mm-hmm. So he starts off very brightly, six years at Hajduk Split, 139 appearances, 36 goals. Fantastic record. The following set of clubs he plays one season at each. Mets. Oh, yeah. Wenger. Cannes. Montpellier. Back to Hadjuk Split. Valladolid. Derby. Napoli. Panathinaikos. Austria-Vienne. Sydney United. Toronto, Croatia. And back to Hadjuk Split. He plays either a season or less than a season for all of those clubs <laughs> back to back. <laughs> just The guy just loves a signing on fee by the season. He just loves air miles. Not only that. Uh, I was scrolling down to the bottom of Asanovic's um, Wikipedia page and found that his son, who was born in France when he was playing there, oh, yeah. uh, playing for Cannes, is also a footballer, Antonio Asanovic. Oh. He's a centre back. Couldn't be more. He's six foot five centre back. Literally couldn't be different to his dad. Jesus. Um, now then, let me talk you through his career. He starts off at Primorac, who I have to admit I haven't heard of them, before 15 games, before going to Hajduk Split, for whom it doesn't look like he plays a match. Instead, he goes back on loan to Primorac. Then for Turnu Severin, Dinamo Bucharest, Corona Barsov, Senec, um, Dak Dunashk Strader, Ineokis Nakaraklaks, I'm struggling to read some of the names here, but basically there's a string of about 12 clubs. For each, he plays less than a season. <laughs> so he might not, given that he's a centre back, have had his dad's technical prowess, but he certainly had the same traveller like. Instincts in that he's moved club to club to club to club. Between them, they've notched up a, a new club every season for about thirty seasons. It's absolutely unbelievable. What is it about the Asanoviches? And, and but he hasn't he hasn't broken out of Eastern Europe, has he, Antonio? Um, it, it doesn't look like, but he's still playing um, at Sen- Seneca. Oh, I say that that was twenty twenty. So he's, I don't know who's updating his Wikipedia page. Perhaps no one. Um, maybe Daryl Powell's doing it. But um, 
it's uh, yeah, phenomenal that these guys have just been jumping around so much. So keep your eyes peeled for Antonio Asanovic coming to a Champions League club near you. Mm, brilliant. Love that insight. Great find. Great research. Mm, thank Good you. Good work, son. I also want to let the listeners know, and you, Richie, we're famous. We're famous. This week, leads-live.co.uk, they a prestigious Yorkshire news website they picked up on two anecdotes from the bridge episode uh, yeah so we've been featured on their website twice i think they oh. they wrote about um brian kidd uh, how he increased security when he joined leeds because their security wasn't very good and they were getting woken up yeah with their late night room service and i recall the boats <laughs> turkish men horns and all yeah. that yeah that was it <laughs> um and then the alan sugar anecdote that bridgie said that he he was oh, on the gosh. verge of signing for his boyhood club, Tottenham, who he supported. Yeah. Until Alan Sugar yes. showed up and started mouthing off. Lord Sugar <laughs> gives it the big uh, So, yeah, great to be on those websites. We oh, appreciate it, Lisa. Get in there. We are famous. And that's not the end of it. We've been reviewed and featured on Mundial Magazine's amazing weekly football newsletter, Gazeta della Mundial. What? It's a great 90s name, that, isn't it? Gazeta, just automatically oh, think phenomenal. of Peter Brackley. Pink newspaper. James yeah, Richardson. Cappuccinos. Um, and we're on their newsletter. It's really great. It comes out every Tuesday. Sign up if you're not already signed up to it. Football newsletter. Mundial Magazine. Love Mundial Magazine. And they spelt your name wrong in the review, which I which I was okay. delighted with. But here's what they... Pleased to hear that. <laughs> here's what they wrote. They wrote. They reviewed us. Uh, they said, The Searching for Shinies podcast is two football fans' quest to interview players from the 1997 Premier League sticker book, which sounds like the kind of thing you dream up under the pub dartboard after six pints, which mm. is mm-hmm. pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah, it was two pints. It was two pints, but I'll take two it. pints on Zoom. It was a lockdown project, mm. wasn't it? But uh, <laughs> I think that's our new. Ta- that could be our new tagline. We can get rid of the Max Rushton one and, and replace it with that. They continue. This week's episode is with Julian Watts, and as well as being a contender for the nicest footballer found in the shiny search so far, it's worth listening to just for the first two minutes of Julian trying to read out the podcast name to host Catch and Richie Wyatt. Richie with a T there. Yeah. Well, that's that's nice. Yeah. That's not, and it, at least they didn't call us super shiny, as <laughs> Julian did. So that's something. They got that right. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I tell you what, it's nice to get a bit of um, press not in the Philippines. Cause that's... <laughs> well, I haven't checked the wires, so we, we might be... We might be. Uh, okay. We're probably on probably on the six o'clock news over there. I hope so. Knowing the reception we've had so far, but uh, but yeah, enough about us. Mm. Enough about us. Mm. Here comes part two of Daryl Powell. Daryl, you weren't a goal scorer, but you did score at Highbury in the December of the ninety six ninety seven season. You put Derby two one up twenty minutes ago. Then Vieira equalised. In the very last minute, Arsenal were top at the time. What do you remember from that game? Is it true Dean Sturridge broke your nose in that one as well? Remember it all. Uh, going in the, as a Championship player, I'd score five, six, seven goals a season, maybe something like that. Eight goals a season. I was I'd score. When we went to the Premier League, I realised and I was told as well: if you want to play in the team, you got to do your job, and your job is stopping the opposition from playing. So that is your job. And that's what I really focused on. But that game, I remember Stadger breaking my nose in the first half. Ball's coming. I've dived to head it. He's gone to volley it and kicked me in the nose. And he's gone. I've on the floor. I've gone, oh, Stadger, you've done me, man. He's gone, yeah, you shouldn't be in my box, should you? It's my box. This is where I do my business. I'm sat there with my nose like that. Half time, I've gone in. 
Is it what's his name? Was it Lewington? Their physio, he was with England and that. Oh, I can't yeah. remember. Uh, and Sillett's taken me in to see him, and he's gone. Ah, oh, you've got, uh, you've broken it and that, and you need a couple of stitches in there. We haven't got time to do the the jab. Do you want to stay on? I went, yeah, yeah. So he put a couple of stitches in, bunged my nose up and that, and then gone out second half and played. I remember the goal. I remember the finish, actually. Can't remember how it come about. Ball's come in. I think Studge has had a shot or something. It's popped up. And I don't... It's weird I'm remembering this. Well, I saw that one, actually. That's why, as well. And then I've just gone right foot, bang. And it actually was a really, really good contact. Brilliant feeling, because... If there was a team that I could have played for, it would have been Arsenal. And then I remember Vieira's strike because we're winning 2-1. Sturge scored an absolute worldie in that game and my goal would have been the winning goal. And I remember Vieira hitting a shot in the dying moments. Our legs had been run off us. We used to compete well against the top teams. And I remember like it going past my ear. And I was like, I couldn't really move. I can actually still remember the feeling of the ball going by and smashing into the goal. And you're just like, oh, fuck's sake. And uh, yeah, remember that shot so clearly. I remember his shot more clearly than the goal because the goal I remember because it got sent to me yesterday or something or the day before. And uh, But his shot, I can remember. And I was just thinking, oh, fuck, I couldn't move. I couldn't stop it happening. And we were actually disappointed. That was weird, right? We were disappointed. They were top team and we were disappointed that we didn't turn them over. Yeah. If you're going to get done, it might as well be by Vieira, one of the best Premier League players of all time, I suppose. He was. He was. I think yeah. so. And he swapped shirts with me. I'll give you that one as well. And he, and he, <laughs> wow. and he, and he wanted to. I, don't, I can't remember if it was that game or the season before. I can't remember, but he, we swapped shirts. Still got the shirt? Yeah, in a in a... A bag somewhere. Oh, amazing. Love that. So, March that season, an unknown quantity, Paolo Wanchop arrives. He would be the top scorer of the following season. Had you heard anything about him? What were your first impressions of this? Of course I did. I knew exactly who he was and I knew the qualities he had. (laughs) You having a laugh. We didn't have a clue who he was. He come on (laughs) trial with another Costa Rican called Maurizio Solis, who you haven't even heard of. He has played for Derby a couple of times and they liked Maurizio because they were always trying to find someone to replace me. I ain't going to lie, but they could never do it. Sorry, Jim. Sorry, Stevie. They was always (laughs) looking for someone and it just didn't happen. So Solis coming was a technical midfield player, quite a tidy little player. And one chop came. He was like uh, probably another inch or inch and a half taller than me. Long legs, real pace. Very unorthodox in his style of play, but very powerful runner. And people thought it was luck, it was luck. But you'd see him do things quite often that others didn't do. And he had a real confidence and belief. And of course I remember that because I think his debut, that was also against Man United. I talked about Man United a couple of times on here. And him and Mark Poon made their debuts against Man United. And obviously the one-chop goal, you may have wanted yeah. to talk about it. Everyone remembers from that era. How can you not remember that goal? And I got an assist because I passed it to him in our half. And just show you how popular I was with uh, the Derby 
press and public, the reporter's gone, oh, and Daryl Powell gives the ball away again to one shot. <laughs> <laughs> what, for a pass? <laughs> well, it was a square pass in my heart yeah. to one shot and he's gone on the run. And yeah, like, that's an iconic, fantastic. yeah. Iconic game that I think away at Man United, he's the winner. He took on four players, shot, slotted it past Schmeichel, win three two, and that's his debut. Oh, it's amazing! And then Pumi was in the, between the sticks at the other end, who I knew from Portsmouth because Pumi had been to Portsmouth before. Yeah, he um, he no, he had he had an X factor. We all know that. And that actual game, I think, and this sound. I'm going to sound like I'm a liar, but I don't actually watch stuff back from before very often. But I think I saw highlights of that about 18 months ago. And I was maybe in the David Lloyd and and it came up on the screen. I stood and watched it and we were actually dominated them for an hour. No, for half, for half the game. We were better than them. And then it was even. And then the last 25, 30 minutes, they absolutely pelted us. But I think looking at that game on the highlights I saw, we deserve to win. Don't get me twisted. You don't go to Man United, the best team, uh, one of the best teams in Europe, and win without having a little bit of pressure on you. But I don't think we were lucky that day to win. I think we deserved to win that day. It was a, mm. it was a really, really, really special day for us. For them, it was disappointing to get beaten by a small team like Derby, but for us and for me, that was a big, that was a big occasion, a big, a big moment, and it was a game we needed to win as well. I think we might have been under a little bit of pressure. I can't remember. Speaking of big occasions, now feels like a good time to move into Jamaica and the World Cup and what have you. I've got about a million questions to ask you about this, but it'd be good just to get your first. What comes to head straight away when you think about your time with Jamaica and the World Cup? You asking me that? I'm thinking the same thing you're thinking. Let's talk about your red card in <laughs> Argentina. So even though you never said a word, I knew what you were thinking straight away. That Ariel Ortega. Yeah, yes. uh, yeah. I didn't want his shirt after. Oh, wow. I didn't want anything to do with Argentina afterwards. I did have a tantrum and I did smash up the changing room a little bit and I did throw my dummy out and then I did go up the top and I watched the second half and every we would we did well up until half time. And it's actually a bittersweet. It's not even bitter anymore. It's a sweet day for me because in the first half, I was totally out of gas. I was knackered. Um, but played actually, performed comfortable. I felt comfortable playing against them. I didn't feel overawed. Uh, I felt that I could handle them and we could handle them, more importantly. Well, I suppose, no, let me be selfish. More important that I could handle them. And then let me talk now as a as a man that his career's over. And then us as a team, we could handle them. It was a nice feeling. And then the boys went out for the second half. And I can remember like just kicking things in the change room, bashing things. And I can remember going up to watch the second half of the game. And then as the goals went in, I think 2-1, 3-1. And I think 4-1, just started crying just gutted, just like felt like I have let this group of lads down. Just just tears just running down my face. Not many, it's football, emotion, like football can make me cry. And I was just so like distraught that day. And then when I've come home and then my dad's a real proper, like proper Jamaican, real, real hardcore Jamaican. And then I was like, dad, and I'm so glad. And he went, son, I'm not going to do his accent now, yeah? He went, son, <laughs> 
He said, guess what? You're the son of a bad man. Like that. That's what he said. You can say that. That can come out. You're the son of a bad man. And guess what? You made history today, son. You're the first man to get a red card for Jamaica. So, <laughs> love that. And that was it. And it, I just like, I just like felt like, I just like laughed like you did. Still felt disappointed like on the professional side. But I thought, God, my dad's just put a different spin on it completely. Mm. He goes, that's going to be you. with you, son. Be proud. Mm. The Argentina team as well was absolutely elite. I mean, you've mentioned Ortega there. He was phenomenal in that tournament. Batistuta, so he's Ortega scored two in that game. Batistuta Did Batistuta a hat trick, didn't he? Batistuta yeah. a hat trick. And I watched the highlights of the game the other day um, ahead of this interview, and they just are so clinical in front of the goal. The finishing was unreal, just top class. That was the difference. And then Simeone was in that team, wasn't he? Zanetti mm. in that team. Yeah. Mm. I think Pochettino was a sub. Uh, yeah. I remember Batistuta, obviously Ortega, of course, Zanetti. And, um, yeah, but they were clinical. Let me not be bitter because it still hurts. I know football's changed now and both fouls would have probably be uh, a red card nowadays. But back then, the two challenges, the first one, he'd have probably been told to get up if he was playing in the Premier League. He was clever. He was clever. Mm. Really, really clever. And I just, I felt that we were actually in the game. We'd have got beaten. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have agreed with you at the time. But look, we would have got beaten. They were top team, but we would have made more of a game of it. But the moment we've gone to ten men, think they're superior from the get go. So they're superior from the get go, and then you're playing against a team that isn't as good as you, man for man, isn't as good as you as a collective, and they've got one man less. They just like picked us apart and they're finishing. You're right. Clinical. Like at, that's why they're top, top, top players. And that was, the, that was definitely the difference. The first game against Croatia, I can't remember. I think that was 3-1 maybe. Something like that. Was it 3-1? Um, I don't know if you've got the stats, but Dion Burton missed a, a real glorious chance for us to go 2-2. We should have got something against Croatia. And then we beat Japan. Yeah, I was watching, but I was so proud we beat Japan because people said Jamaica's come in, they're gonna have they're gonna be great fun, but they won't get a point. They won't get a goal. Mm. You know, so we actually beat Japan. Robbie L scored against Croatia in the first game. We gave Croatia a bit of a scare who went to the semis, I think. And we got slapped by Argentina because I was over exuberant, didn't manage the occasion properly. And was probably a bit out of gas. So mm. that could be my letdown point. But then I watch, when I watched the game, I haven't watched it, it was years ago, I watched the game and it was nice. John Barnes was commentating and just, I could see that I performed actually. I was fine in that game. And so it was, yeah. a, it was, a, it was a bit of sweet. It's understandable that you were up for it. It was, you know, the only time Jamaica had ever qualified for the World Cup. The day after the team qualified, the president announced a national holiday and is it true that you were awarded a piece of land yeah, to make it to build a house on yeah and that's not material crime went down <laughs> yeah but the piece of land i'm still searching but yeah we were offered a piece of land <laughs> crime definitely went down and the beautiful thing when you go and play football in jamaica football is sport football they want you to win they they want you to win Expect you to win might be going over the top, 
They love Brazil, so they love anything that's exciting and flary and, you know, exuberant. Even if you're losing and it's exuberant, they really, they, they love that. But they take football for what it is. Sport, it's a joy. We desperately want to win, but it's, we're not going to kill people over it. Um, we're going to enjoy it. We're going to embrace it. We're proud of our island. We're proud of what our boys have done. And before going to the World Cup, I actually had to do a kind of a sort of interview with the Prime Minister, it was PJ Patterson at the time. So I was actually the spokesperson for a lot of those those things. So I had to do that before we left for the tournament, which was also something that was a fantastic experience, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The team was affectionately known as the Reggae Boys. Was that a name that, that you embraced? Yeah, we did. We did. And what what we saw was people wanted to be around us. People enjoyed us being at the tournament. They enjoyed what we did. They were supportive of us. Even after the Croatia game, obviously the Croatia game, they had Stimac and they had Asanovic in the team. And then them two and um, Bilic, they came over to our bus afterwards and like had a chat and, you know, we, we, we embraced that. I don't think it, it wasn't derogatory. That wasn't my take of it at all. And why not the reggae boys? Why not? Yeah. I think Robbie Earl thought it was a bit boring and a bit derogatory. Was he, is he just a bit of boring? Robbie's, Robbie, Robbie's about <laughs> Robbie, and in all honesty. And he brought out a book afterwards that he didn't really like talk to anyone about and put things in the book. And, oh, like, for example, I know he put in the book, oh, I knew that Daryl was going to get sent off and he was too hyped up and charged. Well, if you knew that, why didn't you say it at the time, Rob? Like, yeah. if you yeah. know that, you're a you senior statesman, you're our most experienced player, why don't you talk and say that? Why don't you come and calm the boys down? Things that he talked about in the book, I find a little bit disappointing, and it was more about Robbie. It's not like he's not a bad person or anything like that, but it was about, it's all about Robbie show. But mm. well done, Robbie, you did get that header, and I don't think any of the other boys would have, would have scored that the way you did, so thanks for that. <laughs> There was um, a documentary released just before the tournament, I don't even remember it, Reggae Boys documentary, where there's lots of talk about the British contingent and the sort of money they have because they're Premier League footballers, what have you, versus uh, the Jamaican lads, or the guys based in Jamaica. Apparently it caused a bit of a division in the group. What was your take on that? Yes, it did. It always does. Money and status always divides people everywhere. It's not just Jamaica. I think anywhere you go, that will create a division. Um and it was for us to show them that we were there to help Jamaica. We were there as Jamaicans to improve our football team and to improve the local players and get the local players if we work together. Because what they did have, they did have a real raw talent. They did have a flair. And I still say it to this day, if there could be like soccer schools, as they're called, sorry, with that US term, in Jamaica and academies in Jamaica, getting hold of kids at 12, 13 at the oldest, maybe even going down as young as 10, and like really giving them education and football coaching from international level coaches, they would produce players athletic, very creative, physically strong, Got all the attributes for for football players and determined, and determined and hungry, and but they stay in the system too long, 
and then other issues or other difficulties come into their lives and it's it's easy to see how and why when you need to feed your family they come into your life so that of all, will always cause will always cause a problem and i would imagine even the group now of players where it's a mixed group of you know home based players and overseas players there'll be issues and there'll be little difficulties that they'll they'll have to overcome but in saying that i got on with the group with all the group we had a good group and any group whether it's them whether it's who won the league this season gone just now who won the league now city man city again again they'll have conflict it's a group of competitors isn't it it's been really good to look back at the squad there were some obviously names that were familiar to us as premier league fans paul hall fitzroy simpson were at portsmouth marcus gale robbie earl wimbledon dion burton and yourself for derby frank sinclair was in there ricardo gardner was at harborview and then he signed for bolton on the back of the tournament and 23 years later theodore whitmore is head coach and Paul Hall's his assistant. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I, I do know. Well, I saw that all opening up actually and happening in front of my eyes. And Tapper, as we called him, Theodore, he was um, technically very, very gifted. And, and that's what I talk about, raw ability. His technique and his ball handling was was first class. But then he didn't develop sort of like passing range and and like game understanding to the same degrees as someone brought up in a European system but his actual technical ability and his feet with the ball was so 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 good and yeah now him and Hawley are both working together is great Ricardo Gardner was just a young lad at the time so he was a big success story he he was the big success story from the World Cup in terms of the local players who moved out of Jamaica and then came to England and played in the Premier League for a, a number of years and he did really, really well. And then I think after that, who we had like um, Ricardo Fuller, who wasn't in that squad, but he was always on the edges of that squad, who came over and had a decent career. And there were, there were quite a number of the Jamaican players because Whitmore came here and played for Hull a little bit. Uh, Goodison played for Tranmere. We had uh, Walter Boyd. I think he was in the in the squad, in the final squad. Walter Boyd came and played for Swansea. Uh, and Andy Lowe played for Coventry and possibly someone else. And we had players that came at the you know, they were later on in their career, but they came here off of the back of, you know, the World Cup. So it, it did it did help all of us really. Yeah. I just want to flick back very briefly to the Argentina game because a couple of interesting things. Do you remember anything about the, their keeper, Carlos Roa? No. He was convinced the world was going to end at Y2K, so retired from football. Um, <clears throat> he went on a religious retreat for the final, for 1999-2000, went on a religious retreat, given up football. <laughs> so that was like big news at the time during the tournament. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing, obviously Argentina went on to play England um, and infamously there was another red card David Beckham, I know. I bet you were over the moon that happened. No, I actually, I actually wasn't over the moon, but I thought it's not bad company, really. And yeah. the two names do work together: Daryl Powell, David Beckham. They just sort of like just go so smoothly together, really. Mm, one um, the same. <laughs> and it was like, you know, top level player. He flicked out. He was getting Argentina. Let's say a clever. Mm. They know how to play the game. They know all the little tricks. 
And he got sucked in. He got agitated, didn't he? And I can remember, I think he's on the floor. I think he's flicked out his right leg. And it was hardly like something that, if it happened here, player would have just probably shouted at him and got on with it back then. But at that time, at that time, international football and domestic football, the levels of physicality were very, very different. And Beckham was frustrated and kicked out. So, yeah, I remember that very, very clearly. Very clearly. Um, do you have any good stories from around the training camp or from just the group being together away? Any funny stories or good memories? Yeah, very, very lots, thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you've already been quite candid already, so you, there's no point in stopping now. These are good stories, though. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch the England games together? Because there was obviously a lot of you had grown up in England. No, we were very much about concentrating on what we were doing. And when we were in camp as well, we were very much shielded from the outside world. And media coverage was really, really down. We would focus on our games. Obviously, there were no iPhones then. So we would concentrate on our games and the newspapers. We didn't really get too much of that even into the camp so one of the things what I experienced from being at the World Cup was that you know you're playing in the World Cup of course but it didn't feel like we were part of a bigger really big event until I came home because we didn't we were like it was kept away from us to a degree and that was Rene Samoa's way of doing things he didn't really want it to be too hyped up and too exciting. It was like a game. We're going to play a game and we got to deal with the game. So when I came home and then I watched the news, then I got a little bit of pride. I was, you know, wow, I was involved in, in that event, you know, come up as a kid and yeah, that's fantastic. So yeah, that's that. Richie. It's the sponsorship segment. Uh, you sent mm. me a little test last week in uh, Daryl Powell Part 1. How many players from the 96-97 PFA Team of the Year, could I name, performed quite admirably, I thought. <laughs> this week, don't laugh, the tables have turned and I have a quiz for you. Oh, wow. And okay. being in the, uh, the advert section of the show, it's sponsorship related. Um, I have in front of me every mm-hmm. single sponsor who adorned the front of a Premier League club shirt in the 90s. Oh and gosh. I wondered how many you could name. So I thought the way we go about this is I'll go club by club. Yeah. Hit me with some sponsors. Oh, my word. You caught me on the hop okay. last week, so yeah, it's your turn now. Here we go. You ready? Yeah. All right, go on then. Yeah, let's try Right, Arsenal. JVC. Yep. Sega or Dreamcast? No, that's 2000. Oh, I'll give uh, you that. I'll... No. Actually, no, I'm not going to give you that. Because they they came in 2000. Oh in 99-2000, Arsenal didn't have a sponsor, according to this. But then 2000, Dreamcast came. So you're not having Dreamcast. And, and to be honest, we should move on from Arsenal because they only had one, one and it was JVC. Oh, thank God for that. Okay. Villa. Villa Muller. Yeah. Yep. Muller. <laughs> Nothing um, else. Oh, man. I can, I can tell you. Let's move on. Can I tell move you who on. you missed? Oh, go on then. Go on then. Go on then. Mitre Copiers. I would never have got that. AST. Oh, yeah. I can picture Gary Charles in an AST yeah. shirt. You'll kick yourself. LDV Vans. Oh, Gareth yeah. Barry. <laughs> there he is. That feels quite late. <laughs> yeah. Barnsley. Okay. <laughs> Barnsley. One season. 
97, 98, the season Barnsley. after our season. What does it start with? Oh. I was going to say like oak something, but that can't be because mm. that's the ground is oak well. It's three words, three letters. Oh? Does it start with yeah. O? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know. Aura. Oh. Blackburn. Aura. Okay, Blackburn. They had McEwen's yes. for a long period of time. Yes, they did. Um, is there another one? There's one more. It, it didn't have. It wasn't the chicken people yet, was it? <laughs> They're in the two thousands. <laughs> what are they called? The chicken ones. I forget. KFC. <laughs> no. <laughs> Venkies. The own Venkies. That's it. No, it's not Venkies. Um, who else did Blackburn have? I should know this because my younger brother used to have Blackburn shirts. But I swear they're on. It's a cues. difficult one. Is it like a computer yeah, one? I think it is. You know, it's letters. It's, it's three computers. letters. I'll give you a clue. Oh, it's like time computing. Nah, go on, go on. CIS. Ah, uh, it's insurance, isn't it? Oh, uh, maybe, maybe. CIS insurance. I wasn't, I yeah. wasn't buying insurance in the nineties. T- Tom, younger brother Tom had a stinker of a. It was an orange shirt with a like a silver mm. collar. It was disgusting, and it had that sponsor on it. Probably worth two hundred quid. Yeah. Bolton. <laughs> Bolton. Um, Reebok. Yes, well done. That's all they had. It's a safe bet. I'm getting Bradford there. City. Uh now then. Is it like the car company? Like, it's got two O's in the middle of it. Oh, there, there's there's zeros. Zeros. I don't know, what, I don't know who this company is. It's, it's it, like a car. Sale. It's letters and numbers. Go on. It's not something six hundred or something. It is. Go on. You got it. It's six hundred. Yeah. Can you can you do what the letters it? before? Um, just say three. Th- say three letters. <laughs> I, I don't want to just say no. I don't want to yeah. make something up. Go on, tell me. JCT six hundred. Ah, oh, that's, that's okay. I'm happy. It's with difficult. That. This it's difficult. Charlton. Not like acorn or something like nah. that. A. I don't think get, I don't think you'll get this. Nah, go on then. Mesh computers. Ah, oh, no, I wouldn't have got that. Although yeah. I can picture Mendonca in that shirt. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here we go. Chelsea. Oh, do you know what? This is my head is frazzled right now. Chelsea. 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 <laughs> Why is this so? Di- this is easy. What's going on here? Ch- can we come back to Chelsea? No, no, no. Let me give you a clue. There was a beer. Oh, cause. Yes. Obviously. Yeah, a computer. Think of the listeners screaming at you right now. I know. I'm sorry, guys. Not like a not a cast oh, or something like that. Oh. Or a a acorn. A nineties computer. Oh my god, this is embarrassing. Did you have one in the early nineties? Hey, no, I didn't. You Go did on. not have an Amiga. Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> that's early nineties. I only started watching football in 1996. That's what I say. You gotta get the other one. There's another Chelsea one, is there? Yeah. Oh, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Late nineties. Yeah, they had a cool sponsor. Don't <laughs> know about that. Not cool. Mm. Go on, then, give me a little clue. Windshield. Oh, auto glass. Yeah, <laughs> that's not cool at all. In fact, it's it's absolutely horrific. No offense to yeah. auto glass windshield workers. Yeah, Coventry. This isn't going as well as it. I'd like it to. Um, Coventry. Ah, oh, ah, oh, catch. Come on, you have to give me a clue again. My head's my head's gone. Cars. Oh, Peugeot. Yeah. yeah, and another car. Renault, probably. Subaru. Oh yeah. Palace. Palace Virgin. No, that was that was too early. early. Good, good shout. That's Ian Wright. Oh no, they did they have like um, three letters? Yeah, yeah, they did. Like LDK or something like that. Oh, you got two of the letters. It's not. It's not L, is it? VDK. No. A B C D I D K. T D K. Oh. Oh, this is so annoying. We'll cut this. This, is, this, this isn't going in. Derby County, Daryl Powell's club, Derby. Now, I should know this because I've just been looking for pictures of Daryl Powell, but as we all know, those pictures don't exist. They're, now, they were... I think they were... Pu- 
They had Puma on. Yeah. Did Puma sponsor them? They did, yeah. Oh, get in there. Puma, that's mad, isn't it? Just Puma on the front. I'll take and it. And making the kits. Mm. And oh, if you get the other one, it's, you, you're doing well. Now, the picture I saw of Daryl Powell, it was like blue writing. It was like a blue picture. Three letters. Um, TDK. EDS. Everton. Everton Danker. Yes. Yeah, that's... They also had a beer, but that no, that was later. That was Chang. Um, Everton. What else am I looking for? Give me a clue here. Phone. Oh, Vodafone. No. Nineties phone. Oh, um, uh, um, one to one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then the three letters. Oh, another one. Yeah. Um, is this early nineties? Yeah. I can. Oh, it's gone. I can't. I won't be able to get it. NEC. Oh yeah. Again, a little bit before my time. Ipswich. Oh man. We spoke about this. We spoke about this. Did we? I mentioned it. I I, I read it out. Oh, in the last uh, f- Fissons. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's lucky. Leeds. Leeds. Now then, oh, Leeds had one. like um, didn't they have the the whiskey or something? No. Nope. Um, oh, oh, damn it. They had Strongbow, but that was two thousand when they they started sponsoring in two thousand. Okay. So Leeds. I'm going to give you a sportswear brand, a hotel, and a computer company. A sportswear brand. That's the ninety, the very first. Oh no! Uh, Ninety-two, ninety. They didn't have like the Cox Sportif or something like that. No, Admiral. Oh god! The hotels, <sighs> chain of hotels, Scottish theme. Mate, my head's gone. I can't. This old hotels. Oh god! Now the computer company. Mm. Come on! In the nineties, you went to PC World. What what computer did you buy? A computer or like a games console? No, a PC. A PC. <sighs> I, I I I can picture the kits. I just mm. can't. I can't read what's yeah. on them. Packard Bell. Um, I, I, see, that's a printer for me, not a computer. But go yeah, on. Yeah, sorry, maybe I've done. I need there. to. I need, uh, yeah, come on then. Here's an easy one. Leicester. Walkers. Yes. Right. Good. I need to get into a bit of a rhythm here. Right. I'm going to give you a couple more because this is going to go on all night. And this is an easy one. They are Liverpool had one sponsor. They're in the Carlsberg. Night. Yes, that's it. You've done them. Right. Man United had Sharp. Yes, that was it exclusively. Sharp yeah. for the nineties. Man City. Man City. I'm thinking it's just writing. I can't picture any logos on their shirt. Am I wrong? No, you're right. But you've got it. Should, it's this is classic. Go on. Give me a clue. I think they made sewing machines. Sewing machines. I think so. Have Singer. I got that wrong? Singer sewing no, machines. No. Maybe I've got that wrong. What a place to advertise sewing machines on the front of the Man City kit. I can't. I've gone. I, I, that's that's difficult. Just tell me who they are. Brother. They're computers, aren't they? Are they? I can't remember. I should have got that. Listeners, let us know. Right, I'm going to give you one more. Borough. Let's do Borough. Yeah. Okay, so ICI. Yeah. Cellnet. Yes. BT Cellnet. Yes. Very good. I tell you what, we'll do we'll do the we'll do the remaining clubs next week because there's there's an awful lot. You're about halfway there. If that goes in this podcast, we are short on content. That's all I'm saying. You got 14 and a half. I mean, I've asked you to name the top 11 players from the football season. You've asked me to pick out Company names, the majority of whom are now defunct. <laughs> On the topic of sponsors, we, of course, have the perfect sponsor for our podcast now, uh, don't you think? It's uh, I have to pinch myself when I think about who sponsors us. This episode of Searching for Chinese, brought to you, listener, in association with classic football shirts. If you enter the Shiny Pod at checkout, shiny with an E, of course, you not only get 10% off your classic shirt purchase, but you get to keep your favourite 1990s sticker book podcast in business. <laughs> so please, please treat yourself to a classic shirt listener. Uh, Richie, I have been browsing classicfootballshirts.co.uk. As have I. I've got some. I'm, think of me as your personal shopper. 
I've got some items here that are going to interest you. Okay. Okay. The stuff on this website is incredible. I could spend hours on it, but uh, I've been browsing. So do you work out? Come on. <laughs> because here's the thing, and this is a serious one. Actually, do you play five-a-side football? I play 11-a-side football. Not well, though. 11-a-side. Right. Don't ever go to High Street to buy your shorts. You go on classic football shirts now. They have an unbelievable selection of shorts. They're all like classic shorts, reasonably priced. Some, and I've got a pair for you here, right? Mm-hmm. Brand new with tags. Holland, player issue away shirts in blue, 1998 to 2000. What? Player issue. These could these could have been, you know, Edgar David's shorts. Size XXL, so your size. <laughs> player issue features, no crest to make, so there's no crest on these, and that is to make room for the player number. All right. Um, and it's... Code 7 product number, which was only for player stock, so that proves that it's a player issue. Man, and it's uh, it's come direct from from uh, Nike player stock clearance. Um, there's some notes here as well. Okay. So helpful, this website, some notes here. Player specification away shorts worn at the France 98 World Cup where the side reached the semi-finals thanks to Dennis Bergkamp won yeah. the goal in the last minute against Argentina. Oh, what a goal as well. Uh, Burkham, look at the, the detail on this site is great Burkham beautifully controlled a long ball and nutmegged Roberto Ayala before volleying home past Carlos Roa to score one of the great World Cup goals he could have been wearing these shorts when he did it right but actually he, he wouldn't have been because they're brand. these are brand new the tags it, also he's not XXL that's true good point I wonder who was XXL but anyway these are the tags are on this the bagged how much how much do you think these would be um I don't want to answer that question. It sounds like it sounds expensive. Would you be surprised if I told you you could get these shorts using the shiny pod discount code mm. for twenty seven pounds? Would you believe me? Um, it's that sounds good. That's how much it is. That's how much they are. Tw- I feel like if I was wearing them, I'd want to walk around like a certificate of authentication. Otherwise, people well, just think they're night shorts. You can leave the tag on, but you know yeah. these are this is real legitimate nineteen nineties merchandise. We spoke about the World Cup on this podcast. I'm trying to think of fat fat Dutch players. Who? who I mean, Davids wasn't fat, was he? Yapstam. Who's got big butt cheeks in that team? Yap. <laughs> it's Yapstam, yeah. isn't it? These are Yapstams. You know, these are his spares. He doesn't <laughs> need them anymore. They could be yours. They could be yours for twenty seven quid. So yeah. why why do people go? To mm. where, you know, Mike Ashley's Emporium, when you could go and get your five-a-side shorts on classic mm. shirts and get a 10% discount by entering the shiny pod at checkout. So that is my hack for you, mm. listener, and Richie. So that's the kind of merchandise you can get. I've got a quick story Quick story about sh- uh, match issue shorts. My older brother my older brother spends half his time walking around in Abel Xavier's Borough shorts from <laughs> early 2000s. Don't know how he got hold of them, but number two. Classic shirts, isn't it? Classic shorts. Exactly. ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. So, yeah, not just classic football shirts, shorts as well, some of which were player issue. But here's the one I've got for you, right? This is the PS de Resistance, okay? You said you can't find a picture of Daryl Powell mm. in a Jamaica shirt, but you could buy one. You're joking. I've got here, right, 1998 World Cup Jamaica home shirt, XL, your size. Yeah. Oh, Condition. I've dropped a size, that's good. <laughs> 46 to 48 inch chest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Condition good. Some details. So this is it's so helpful, the website, as I said. Um, they're very honest with the, with the condition of the product. Condition details, bright colours, badges are stitched, some noticeable one to three centimetre dark marks to the front, some light bobbling, and several small one to two centimetre pulls. So, I mean, it's a this is a vintage shirt, 1998, so you, that's, that's fine, I think. 
It's a phenomenal shirt. Having looked on Google, earlier. oh, can you and you, you know the one with the with the green detailing down the side. It's got so much going yeah, on. It's got a lovely black mm-hmm. uh, collar, kappa, oh, yeah. iconic. Oh, to the green, the yellow, the black. It's a st- amazing shirt. Nineteen ninety eight yeah. World Cup. Powell wore this at the World Cup. You know, and it's got his list some of the players who wore it. So Robbie Earl, Gale, Frank Sinclair, Whitmore, Burton, Powell, uh, and here's the notes just to get your juices going. Classic design home shirt worn famously by the Reggae Boys at the France 98 World Cup. This was the side's first and only appearance at a World Cup in which they finished third in Group H. They lost their first two games against Croatia and Argentina but did manage a historic 2-1 victory over Japan Mm. in the final group game. Both goals were scored by Caribbean footballer of the year, Theodore Whitmore, making him the country's record scorer at World Cup tournaments. So that's 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 on there and it's 100 quid. And I think that's pretty good value for a classic shirt like that. 98 mm. World Cup. Is that with or without our discount? You want the discount? It's 90, so... Maths. Show off. Shiny pod at checkout. Pretty good. So, wow. thank you, Classic Shirts, for sponsoring Daryl Powell. Um, listener, get on the website. Use the Shiny Pod discount. Find There's some amazing finds in there. It's, there's so much on there, but if you sift through, there's just some real beautiful pieces that are mm. uh, investments. That's what I tell my... Uh, fiance mm. when mm. I buy stuff from classic football it's investment it goes up it's better than crypto it goes up every season in value so get on there use our discount support mm. the search of a Chinese podcast uh, before before you move on quick reminder make sure you do an advert for um, classic football shirts <laughs> don't forget in this segment will you <laughs> well actually good good reminder because listener if you can persuade a player from the 1987 book to come on our show we we promise to buy you a shirt from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk, up to the value of £50. That offer still stands. So mm. you know what I mean? Connect us with uh, David Beckham and uh, there's a Come 50 on. quid shirt in it for you. Help us out. We need some more players, don't we? We do, we do. Here's a player, though. player we love, oh, Daryl Powell. What a player. Post-World Cup, then, you're back as a key player for Derby and they finished 8th. 16th and 17th was it like a, a challenging few years after the World Cup at Derby no I think the season we finished 8th we should have finished in the top 6 we were doing really really well and then uh, we packed up with about a couple of months to go and then after that I think that we'd probably it probably run its course I think that Jim and I love loved Jim to bits and he was really good to me it was probably time for Jim to move on. It was probably time for a number of us players to move on because I think in uh, top-level sport, you need to keep things fresh and keep refreshing things. Um, and then I think it just started to get a little bit stale, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the season before, I was actually supposed to have moved. I think Everton made an offer for me and Wolves made an offer for me the season before we got relegated. And uh, Jim said, where do you want to go? And I was like, it's a no-brainer, isn't it, Gaffer? I want to go to Everton. The deal never happened. I met with Wolves. Actually, uh, Wolves were in the championship at the time. Wolves actually offered me more money than I was earning on a four-year contract. And I uh, just didn't want it. I was not... I went to be polite. I didn't want it. I said, I, said, I want to play at the highest level I can play at for as long as I can. And then... Mm. Being a little bit naive, I never actually went back to the manager and pushed for the Everton thing. I kind of left it to my agent to get on with it. And that never happened. And then the next summer, when we did get relegated, I can remember walking in Derby Town Centre, didn't have a club. Steve Bruce ended up signing me for Birmingham about a week 
before the season started and he'd already had his players. So that was the beginning of the end for me. But I remember walking and Keith Lauren, the old chief exec, come up to me and he went, Daryl, are you not disappointed that you never went to Wolves? I'm such a strange lad. I went, no. I, went, I said, I didn't want to. I said, I wanted to go to Everton. And I was told they were in. Because, yeah, that's really strange, that. Because we accepted a bid of 1.5 million. Um, but, and then the deal just went dead. I went, uh, I said, I think I can guess why it went dead then. And then just left it there. And that, and that was, was a bit my moment to move. And I think the whole group, you just need to freshen it up. You just mm. need to freshen football up. Even the manager. Jim Smith's an absolute legend. Absolute love him to bits, but it was time. It was time to move on. I think a couple of years before yeah. football agents say can't trust them. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we move on to talk about Birmingham, which we want to do very briefly, I've got to ask you about King Cladsey because what a player he was. Yeah, but his best years weren't with us. The fans loved him because he had this Messi-like quality. Um, and I don't think that's an overstatement. There are certain players that, well, there aren't. There are very few players, and he's one of very few. They've got so much skill without having a trick. Mm. You think of King Cladsey, it's all about the way he moves. Mm -hmm. The way he moves, you just can't, couldn't get near the ball. And you look at Lionel Messi, the best player in the world he's been, I know Cristiano, Cristiano has been also, so they've shared that mantle, I think, over this era. So I don't want to say who's better and who's not better, but he has been the best player in the world for sure. Doesn't have a trick. It's just pure ability, pure skill, pure like body movement. It's actually beautiful. Actually, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about that. Yeah. It's not a trick. Yeah. Terry Phelan said the same. Did he? In, on the show. King Cladsey was mesmeric to to watch him and be alongside him in training. Yeah. Jinking around. But when he was with Terry, that was when Kinky was young. He was 20, 21, maybe 22. He was unbelievable. At Derby, he was unbelievable. He's a good friend, by the way. Unbelievable in training. Unbelievable. Fans loved him on a, on a Saturday because of, you know, how much pleasure he gave them with the things he did. But... He didn't give our team the balance. It didn't work with our team enough to, for him to really have that impact at Derby County. And it was just at a different stage of his career. But talent was incredible. Incredible. Yeah, what's he up to now? Is he fancy coming on and having a chat? Uh, I don't... He, he had, a, he had um, a health club business, like a David Lloyd type thing in Russia. I don't know if he's still got that. He called me last time was about... Oh my God, it's going to be two years. I was going to say a year ago, but we've had COVID for 18 months. I think he was over in Manchester doing something and he called me and we were, we didn't get together though. I said, well, try and get together and we didn't get together. But uh, would he have a chat? I don't know. He's not in the book cage, so we don't want him. <laughs> well, we make special exceptions. <laughs> yeah, he was He's a legend. He was. Special player. You mentioned, you know, moving to Birmingham and playing under Steve Bruce was the beginning of the end. Steve Bruce has that effect on some players. <laughs> you only played 14 times and then you moved quickly again. What what happened there? We're curious as to that. I think part of it gives Steve a little bit of credit. He was doing me a favour because he always liked me as a player. He tried to sign me on a number of occasions. 
Um, um, but he'd already signed um, Alou Cisse, I think it was Alou Cisse, who he captained one of the uh, Senegal, I think he, he yeah. managed Senegal, sorry. And, uh, and he signed Robbie Savage. Well, all three of us were the same type of player. Hmm. He signed them for big money. And then about a week before the season starts, he calls me to come in. I went in, he signs me, I think, for just to look after me a little bit, a bit of a favour. I didn't get a chance to play, didn't really get much game opportunity. I played one, I can remember coming on, playing at Chelsea, the worst game of, oh, it was awful, I can remember it. Playing wide left, didn't know what I was doing, thinking, what am I doing here? He played me at left back against someone, and I never played left back then, because he just... In all fairness, he wanted to get get me in the team, I think. He wanted to get it going for me and it, it didn't happen. And then I'd be still at that stage, I'd be banging the ball in the in the gym. I'd go and just get the ball out, get the ball out. And I was quite compulsive. And then he come to me and he goes, uh, Pauli, don't worry, you're staying till the summer. Sorted, but you're gonna stay till the summer. Next day, Stephen Clements turned up. Oh, He's huh. gone, Pauli. Need to have a word, son. He's called me and he says, look, this come about. Clem was available. Da, 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 da. I had to sign him. And then um, I had offers then to go to Shanghai, Shenhua and to the States. I said, oh, I don't want to go to Shanghai right now. I don't want to go to America. Oh, I want to carry on. And then they come in about Sheffield Wednesday. And I says, I don't want to go there. Just didn't, I don't want to go there. That's my character, right? You've seen that. And then, um, but I buckled this time. And I signed for Wednesday and I played good for the first two or three games. And then I just thought, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I just didn't enjoy it at all. It was, they were nice lads, good lads. Maybe I was a bit spoiled. I wasn't technically great as a player. I knew the game. I understood the game. I knew my job. And I was playing with a group of players that were so far away from what I was used to. Even the Birmingham players were miles off of what we had at Derby. That, that's how good the group was. And you realise when you're not there. Um, and then I, I stayed at Sheffield Wednesday till that summer. And they got we got relegated. I was a part of it. So we got relegated. They were already in the dog doo-doo when I went there. And um, I just went to the manager and I just begged him to let me out of my contract. He said, oh, you can captain us next season. Help us. I said, honestly, Chris, I said, I just want to go. Honestly, I just want to go. And uh, that, that was that. And Birmingham was like, was another lesson for me in nothing's done until it's done. Because mm. imagine you're told, yeah, you're signing and the next day you're told you're not. Mm. Did you cross paths with Dugary? Or was he just after you? He wasn't sure no, the we, we trained together briefly. And that, I think I had one of my most enjoyable days when he turned up. And I can remember Bowen... Pauly, you've come alive today. I can remember Mark Bowen saying it to me. And he reminded me of what we used to have at Derby. Mm. And I understood top players. I wasn't one, mm. but I could compliment them, I, I mm. think. And I understood it. And yeah, he was, he, he had a, he had, you could see he had an extra talent. But they did good, that Birmingham group though. They did, they did fairly well and stayed up and had, had a good day when they beat Villa. I know I was on the bench actually when uh, Enkelman, when the ball gets oh. foot, the throwing. <laughs> and, uh, Steve was just bringing me on just before, and then uh, I've got up, and then Enkelman is hit his foot, oh. and we celebrated together, went on, and 
in that game, and I remember that. But it was, I I say my career was Portsmouth and Derby, mm. and everything else. The other stuff was just fleeting pit stops on mm. the way down. And it shows you that this needs to be so right to get the best out of it. Yeah. You did persevere, though. You went to Colorado. I actually went there myself a couple of years ago. Amazing part of the world. What was MLS like? Did you like the state? How did you find it all? Unfair to them. Got injured at Sheffield Wednesday. Kept trying to get back fit. Hamstring, hamstring, hamstring. That's when my injury started. I was probably rushing to come back too soon. So went to the MLS and selfishly, it was brilliant for me. It was, it's like you got a pressure, pressure valve and you just release the valve. You go there, no one knows you. No one, you know, outside of the, the football stuff. People are just nice. It's Midwest, very different lifestyle. Very, very middle, middle class, very calm. It was amazing for the mind. I was disappointed that my injuries, in a way, I say disappointed, Actually, looking, I wasn't like, I was gutted at the time because I wanted to play. But looking back, it was it was good for me mentally. It was good for me mentally. The level of the football, technically, they were decent enough. Game understanding was poor. I was lucky though, we had John Spencer at the club. Johnny was a top, top player. And John was a really good lad. And he was really good to me when I was out there. At, at that time and I went round to John's quite a bit had a good group of lads they were a good group of lads and it was a it was uh, a good experience I'd have liked to have done more given them more because when you when you're competitive you're just competitive and you want to do well so I'd like to have given them more in terms of time on the pitch the coach wasn't the level of coach that I had been used to at that time but it wasn't the coach's fault that I didn't play. It was my fault that I didn't play enough due to, to my body like breaking down a lot. But I came home at the Christmas and I watched Forest versus Derby. And I must admit, I thought, oh God, I missed that. I just want mm. one more go. I missed that, mm. the crowd. Okay. And I was like, wow. And then, so when my contract ran out, I was possibly going to go to LA Galaxy, but the LA Galaxy, Ziggy Schmidt, <coughs> the head coach, he um, he got fired or he'd left the club. So that option was gone. After that, Colorado weren't renewing or they were renewing on like completely different salary. I was ready to go home. Never, ever intended to stay in the States full time. It was never my intention. Never something I wanted to do. Wanted the experience. Enjoyed the experience. Fantastic people. The club, fantastic place. It's funny because... Um, the uh, chairman of Arsenal actually took over the club in Colorado when I was there. Um, mm. Stan Kroenke. Oh yeah, it's his neck of the woods. Yeah, so it's kind of a small world. So that was that was a good experience, really. And then I came back, and then I went to Forest. So I'll help you here, so you don't have to ask the question. I actually was at home, and I was like, I did this a few times. I went to Villa and trained there when I left Derby. I was quite confident in that way and brave in that way. Just went in to say, can I join in training? And that, and I went in, and then uh, they were awful. <laughs> uh, I joined in training. And, uh, some, talented, some talented players, attitude stunk. Never seen attitude like it. I joined in with the young lads. It was Dawson, Michael Dawson at the time, and and then um, there was like Wes Morgan was one of the ones that was like in the reserves and stuff. So I trained with them, and it was good. And then Mick Arthur had come to me. 
and he said, uh, do you want to play? He goes, you signed for us now for a month. I trained with him for three, four weeks, let's say, and it was comfortable. I remember David Johnson going, why have you not signed? Why are they not signing you? Pauli, you're better than what we got. Why are you not signing? I said, I don't know. So then he's come to me, he goes, look, I'll give you a month. I'm going to look really bashful here. I'll give you a month and then I'll play you at QPR on the Saturday. I goes, sign me till the end of the season and I'll play. I'm not signing for a month. And then he went, well, what are you going to do then? I said, well, to be honest, Mick, I've really loved training and playing football. What I'll do is I'll come every day and train till the summer for nothing and improve your reserves like that. And he went, he just looked at me like kind of laughed. He went, all right, all right, pal. He laughed. And then uh, they played on the Saturday. He, they lost. The joking here got sacked or Mick got sacked actually. Joking here got sacked before. Mick got relieved of his duties. And then I trained the next week, got injured. Megson turned up and then Megson turned up and he went, Come in the trainer and he goes, What are you doing? I didn't know you was here. He goes, How are you? What, what's up with you? What are you done? I said, I'm stringing that. Because once the hamstring at Sheffield Wednesday, always getting little niggles. He went, All right then, you get fit. When you're fit, we'll sign you till the summer. So it took me another two weeks or something, whatever. And I went to see him to sort out a deal with him. Mego done me on the deal. Was happy though, <laughs> it, was till the, it was till the summer. So I was happy. That's all I asked for till the summer. And then he said, uh, you're playing at Tottenham. I'd had a knee operation in America, really clean. I hadn't played football for six months. Remember the night before, I never slept one minute thinking mm. about the game, thinking about the game. We've played at, uh, at White Hart Lane. And uh, remember, Forrest were bottom of the league. They weren't, they weren't bad players. But when I say awful, I'm not talking about the level of some of the players. Because they did have some good players. But in terms of professionalism, they were shocking. They were shocking. I think they drove Gary Megson nuts because he drove him nuts. And then, Paolo, you're going to play in the centre midfield. Oh, I remember blowing a gasket after about 25 minutes and him <laughs> screaming, close down, pa-. I can remember. And I was like, Mego, can we just play deeper? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, oh, I was blowing that day. We actually drew 1-1 that game. It's actually a decent performance. And then they come back to Forest and then I think they beat us 1-0 or 2-1 or something like that. And I played the rest of that season. They were at the bottom as well. That was another team, got relegated. And uh, Mego um, went away in the summer. But I don't regret going there. I enjoyed it. And I had a few moments where I could look and I enjoyed that game. I enjoyed that moment. Uh, it was good. They went down. I wasn't overly keen on going to League One. And then I, I just turned up at Coventry with Mickey Adams. Just turned up. Done the same thing again. Went, oh, come on. So I've joined in, offered me a contract as well. Coventry were in the championship then. So he said, offered me a week to week. I said, Mick, I ain't signing a week to week. And um, he went, why? I went, Mick, I'm 33, was off or something like 32, 33. I sign a week to week with you. I get injured, badly injured. What do you do? You just throw me to the garbage. And then who does my rehab? How do I get better? I said, I value myself more than a week to week. You can give me poor wages, but you got to sign me for longer than that. I'm not going to do it. And he went, oh, well, it's up to you. And then I, I went and then I went home. And I was training at home, like doing my rehab and that, uh, a local physio. And Mego called me the week before the season started. 
and he uh, had uh, who was it? Frank there? Frank? Oh, weren't Frank? Frankie Mac? It was Frank McParland? I think it was. And he he's had him, and he now goes for him. He said, "Pally, what's going on? What are you doing?" I says, oh, "I'm at home, Gary." He goes, "Right, come in here now, and we'll sign you on a new contract now." I went, "Do you know what?" I said, "I'm injured. I've done. What? I've tweaked my knee or something." He's gone. Uh, don't worry. Come in. Do what we did last time. You get fit. As soon as you're fit, you're signing a, a contract with us and you're going to help us get back up. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. As soon as I'm fit, I'll call you and then I'll come back in. But I want to get fit on my own. He went, all right, in, son. Come off the phone. Gone to my wife. I've just been married. Just had my first kid, actually. He was about six months old. I've gone and called her. I said, guess what? I said, ah, oh, Gary Megson phoned me to go back in. So oh, what did you say? I told him I'll call him afterwards, but guess what? What? I've retired. She went, what? I went, I've retired. And she went, okay. Mm. And I phoned my mum. I said, mum, I've retired. My mum went, you've not retired. I know, honestly, I had a football tied to me everywhere I went. I just loved playing football. I went, mum, I've had a really good innings, right? I've had a really good innings. I keep getting these niggly injuries. I'm getting messed about by people. I said, uh, I went to America and it was refreshing. I come back. I had my six months. I've played in the top two divisions. I'm done. She went, I don't believe you, son. You'll be you'll be back playing soon. So tell you what I'm going to do, mum. I'm going to buy and sell cars. I am done. I am finished. And that was it. That was the moment I, re- yeah. I retired. You just decided there and then? There and then. I was like, you've been getting niggly injuries. You're getting short-term contracts. You've had, obviously these things are going through your head quickly. I wasn't that sort of methodical. You've had a brilliant career. You've had a brilliant career, brilliant innings. Do not become one of those bitter and twisted old pros that's bouncing around moaning about young players and this and that because I just loved it. I loved the game and then I just stopped there and then never went back. Amazing. Gary Megson's still waiting for the call. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. Well, Frankie Mack called me and he said, oh, what happened? I said, Frank, I said, he, I said, he called me the week before the season. I was injured. I'd had enough by then. He said, I told him. I told him not to wait that long. I told him he should have come early. I said, ah, it's good. I'm doing my thing and I'm, I'm all right. Mm. But your limited Wikipedia page tells us you did play beach football. For England. Yeah, but that's not, that's just fun. <laughs> that was beautiful. I played beach football. I, someone invited me and I went and played beach football. I played Masters football. I loved that. I played that a, a couple of years and really enjoyed it. It was really, really fun. Um, and then I used to mess about with the ball and that or go, I'd like playing football. So I, I like going like five aside and that. And then just another light bulb moment. I don't know when that came on. I went, you just need to stop. And I was like, you're not a professional anymore. You've got two little ones. You keep doing this, you're going to get injured and you're going to get a bad injury. And because I was quite, still quite fit at the time, athletically fit, but then you're athletically fit, but maybe your muscles can't keep up with it or your ligaments can't. So I just thought, just something in me. I said, and then I stopped completely. And then I just, I'll just mess with my kids or, if there was a ball and you were juggling and that, I'd, I'd want to kick it. And that's it now. And now you're a football agent. <laughs> They're all twats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, football agent. How did it get going? Um, like I said, when I first stopped playing, 
I was buying and selling cars for about four months, doing all right at it, actually, buying high-end stuff, putting adverts in the Sunday Times and uh, putting them in the auto trader, cars wanted, going round and meeting people. I actually met uh, the Walsall chairman. It's so interesting when you're going, when you're out there. So I, I went to a fella in Walsall and um, I sat there and um, he says, oh, what, what are you doing? You're a young lad, aren't you? And he says, yeah, I'm not really that young. I played a little bit of football and stuff like that. And now I'm into like buying and selling the cars and he had some Mercedes SL or something, something back then. And I says, yeah. I said, uh, did I, but your face is familiar. And he went, oh, I'm Jeff. And I went, oh, Jeff Bonser. You're the Walsall chairman. He went, yeah. And I said, oh, I played for Derby. Then I told him my name. He went, oh, Daryl, da, 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 da. I said, yeah. And then we, we had a deal on the car. Then he gave me the price I wanted. I think he felt, felt like, let me do him a little turn. So he sold me the car at the right rate. And then uh, turned that round. And I've kept in je with Jeff ever since. And then another couple of months have gone by. And I was like coaching the Derby's under 16s and, and that uh, for Terry Wesley. Enjoyed that. Loved that, actually. And then uh, someone asked me to help and move a couple of players. And Jim Smith always told me that you're going to be an agent, you are. That's going to be your thing. And then the player, the two players were Marcus Tudgay and yeah. um, Junior Agogo. And uh, Marcus was a young lad at Derby. I've gone in with Murdo Mackay and I've tried to do a deal with him for Marcus. He offered him a pittance. I said, I'm going to move him. He said, yeah, you're new in this game, son. We'll see. Da -da -da. Made a few calls. Spoke to spoke to Joe Royal. He was Ipswich at the time. Da -da -da. Went and met Joe. No, when I speak to Joe, he offered me a contract. Not joking. He said, do you want to come and play for me? He says, he says I saw you at Forest when we beat Forest and that. You're still up together. Do you want to come down and play? I said, Joe, I'm out of the game. I'm offering you Marcus. He said, I'm interested. Da -da -da -da. Let's keep in touch. And then Brian Laws. I phoned Brian Laws, Sheffield Wednesday. Kept on, 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 cut it short. Got to the point where Laws, he said, I want to do it. Gone into Derby, said, I've got a club for Marcus. And then Murdo said, oh, we hear it all the time, son. You just wet behind the ears in this. He goes, you've got the club, bring it. So I brought the club, bang, done the deal. Moved Marcus uh, to Sheffield Wednesday. He got respected with the money he got. He was very, it was really weird though, because he was only up the road and he was so upset. He was so sad to be moving to Sheffield from Derby. He thought he was going to the end of the earth and it's just a little trip up the M1, like 15 minutes. Half an hour. Yeah, he was, he was crying. <laughs> <laughs> he's a tough kid as well. He's a tough kid. Well, he's a tough man. He was crying. What are you crying for? And then, so we did that, moved him. And then Junior Agogo, I was speaking with... Lenny Lawrence. Lenny Lawrence was the director of football. Uh, probably wasn't that title at the time. Junior was running out of contract. I said, Len, I tell you what, make him the best paid player at your club and give me X. It was a considerable figure for League Two. He went, what? I went, no, give me that. He says, why? I said, well, look, Len, you make him your best paid player, he will re-sign. I'll tell him it's in his best interest to re-sign. Then... You put a clause in that you sell him at this, this, this figure, right? In the summer, your club will get their money. Because really and truthfully, Junior needs to move up the gears now. He needs to go to a higher level club. And really and truthfully, he shouldn't be signing for you. So for him to sign for you, 
give him a lot more than he's earning. Give me the assurance that you'll let him go for this figure and pay me that because I'm giving you an opportunity to make your club some more money. And then he went, you know, Sam. <laughs> so let me have a chat and come back. He's lovely, lovely man, lovely man. He's come back, done a deal. Four months later, we move Junior to Nottingham Forest. They get their money, everyone's happy. And I was like, this isn't too tough, really, for me. I would know enough people. So then I studied, sat, and at the time we had to do an exam. Took the exam. Jakob Larsson had taken the exam in Denmark, failed. He said, if I fail the next exam, let's just start together. So I said, okay. He failed again. I passed the exam. And then we, uh, I set up, not we, I set up a company. It was on a handshake, to be honest. And our first lad was a lad called Matthias Jorgensen. He was at Arsenal training. Uh, Steve Rowley had him in. He was 16. And uh, he's a lad that actually ended up at Huddersfield. Uh, Jorgensen, I don't know if you remember yeah. the name. Yeah. And, uh, he was our first client from there. Matthias come over and then Steve went to me, son, he done really well, like the first couple of days and that. I said, who was he training with? He went, the first team. I went, and he said, but like, third day, he was like flagging a bit, so I'm not really sure. I was like, but Steve, he's 16. He's been training with Thierry Henry. He's at a second tier Danish club and he's done quite well. And it's like, you're not talking a lot of money, you're talking a few hundred grand. And then I said to Jakob, look, I think that ain't going to happen. I said, let's speak to Copenhagen. He knew them well. And then the lad went to Copenhagen and then everything kind of happened from there. And, and to talk a bit about that business, the hardest thing for me really has been getting players. Actually doing deals when I've got players or being able to communicate and get things across over the line hasn't been a problem. It's getting players. The industry mm. is full. Well, it's not fair to put it on agents, actually. I think the football industry generally, there's good, good, bad and indifferent managers, agents, owners, players. It's just life, right? But of course, now the rewards in it and the money in it at the, at the top end have got bigger and bigger. Mm. The things that people do to get the players or to get players on side can be a little bit wrong, mm. should I say. Yeah. And... Uh, and uh, obviously, the, there's four, three, four, five big agencies. They get the they get the crop. They get the best players generally because they've swamped the market. And then there'll be a few individuals who will have bespoke individuals, i.e., um, Riola. They will then have elite, elite players. You know, but it's been fun because what it's done for me, it's enabled me to travel a lot. I've travelled a lot through it stay involved with the game, get paid, in all fairness, get paid well in, re- in relation to, you know, real life, real world uh, situations or other jobs, should I say, and uh, pay me divorce. So it's done me proud. <laughs> <laughs> Not Frank Clark's daughter. No, no, we, me, me and Nick, no, we were just, we, that, that didn't get that far. Not even close. Yeah. Did you meet Frank? Legendary Geordie Fairs Cup winner with Newcastle. Did you yeah, I like, Frank's a lovely man. Yeah, I, re- I, I, I saw Frank last uh, last year, uh, during COVID actually, at the David Lloyd in Nottingham, we had a chat. And I yeah. saw Nicky about a year before that, just by chance, uh, when I was going out with uh, someone and I saw her and had a chat. So, yeah, it's all uh, good spirits. Mm. Daryl, we've... Um, 
got a couple of more quick fire questions. Don't worry, we're not going to keep you any longer. I'll ask the last one. So um, the the last the last question we like to ask Daryl is who is your shiny player? So this is the best player that you've played with or against through your career. No, it's difficult. With is quite is uh, I've said it really. The best players were Sanovic and Aranio, and I think it would be unfair to divide them. They were quality for different reasons. Obviously, Aranio stayed around longer. Top, top players. I remember Aranio receiving the ball. Ball's got fired into him at Arsenal. And he's like, done this, stopped it on his foot. And he's like, pushed his foot out, flicked it up, and then flicked it over his head, like a double touch. And he used to do it. He used to do it in training where you hit it off your shin and off your foot. And he's got, and I'm not name dropping, he's got Petit there, Vieira there, on him. And he's got over him and picked it up the other side and just made a pass. The Arsenal fans clapped yeah. and I was like, wow, wow. So he was special and I've told you about Asanovic. Against, it's, um, that's difficult because I do think, obviously, let me not be an old man, times move on and players get sharper and let's say things evolve. But I do think that was a real top era of players that 90s and early 2000s, you know, that Man United team, that Arsenal team, Chelsea were transitioning. There were some great players. And obviously, you've mentioned some of those players on the on the world stage already. I think there are, there are too many to say, really. Cantona was, was special, his old aura. Can I tell you a quick one on him? We yeah. turned out Old Trafford that day when we beat yes. him. And uh, all the players turned up in their suits and ties and all looking like immaculate, like schoolboys, basically. And, you know, the gear that we wore weren't the greatest then, the suits and that. And walking in Cantona, stood there, jeans, cowboy boots, Stetson hat. <laughs> Turned up for a game and Sir Alex allowed it. And I thought before that game... He's just as a cowboy. Yeah, I thought, <laughs> yeah, I just thought, you must be so special. The greatest manager in the world. All the other boys are petrified, immaculate, and you can turn up like that. And he accepts it. I just thought, you're a legend. <laughs> yeah. He gets a lot of mentions by guests on this show, so we're not surprised to hear Eric's name. And uh, that's amazing, Daryl. We've we've done two hours with you there, which is pretty... I've enjoyed it as well. Really enjoyed it. Amazing. Thank you. Wow, Daryl Powell there, the owner of the creakiest chair in the East Midlands. (laughs) Um, That is correct. Now, Ketch, just before we click record on this outro, you delivered a wonderful impression of Daryl Powell. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you to repeat that, please. Well, the thing about Powley is he goes really loud, but sometimes he likes to whisper and talk about how good it was to play for Derby. In the nineties, yeah. To, to clarify, you, you weren't doing the accent or anything. It was just the the intonations, the volume. Just the intonation. He's like Al Pacino. The volume yeah, yeah. would go up, and it would go down. I loved it though. I, honestly, I was hanging on his every word. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's correct. Now, because I enjoyed Pauli so much, and because we saw him bounce around that room for so long, I thought to myself. I wonder, was he like that as a player? And then it occurred to me, well, 
weird season tickets at Middlesbrough back then. So I must have seen him play. Mm. If, he, if he played in the game between Borough and Derby, I must have seen him. So, you know, not wishing to make this episode about the mighty Borough, because it's not. I thought I'd look up um, the stats. So, I totally forgot about this. Borough beat Derby 6-1 that season at the Riverside. I think it was in March time. So I treated myself to a seven-minute highlight package, courtesy of YouTube, um, watching alongside the great Barry Davies on commentary with his velvety tones. And having watched the highlights, I've made a few observations, Ketch, which feel quite 90s, so I want to go through them with you, okay? Mm -hmm. Observation number one, Daryl Powell didn't touch the ball once. In the, in the entire highlight package. Oh, okay. <laughs> he might not touch it in the game, to be honest with you. 6 1, we smashed them. But in that game, Ravenelli scored a hat trick. Mm. And I want to draw your attention to his celebrations in that game. Now, for his first goal, he did his customary celebration, which was, of course, to put his shirt over his head and run around the pitch like a maniac, which is still trademarked to this day. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for, for every child running around doing a Shira one arm in the air, there's two children doing the Ravenelli. Mm-hmm. For his second goal, he run, he run, you might have seen this, I saw it on Twitter recently, Sid, a friend of the show, Sid Lambert, shared it on his page. He runs past a sound boom and picks a sound boom up and sort of sings into it Did like he? he's a rock star. <laughs> does a dance for the North Stand. It's, it's cringeworthy now, but back then it was <laughs> cutting mean. edge. Yes. Now, there is something else that happens. On goal two and goal three, I want to draw attention to the embraces that he has with Giannino. Uh, who sets him up for the goals. So on this, on, on goal two, he has a short cuddle. <laughs> then Ravenelli kisses the little fella on his cheek and ear for a prolonged period of time. Like, it lingers. <laughs> I thought, oh, I thought oh, that's nice. He's showing love to his fellow professional, appreciating his input into the, into the goal and, and the game more generally. We all want him to kiss Giannini on the cheek at that point. On the third goal, Giannini slips the ball in, Rav finishes, finishes it round in the keeper... And Janina then does what is also a customary celebration between the two of them. He runs up to Ravenelli and jumps, and he sort of he laps, he mm. wraps his legs around Ravenelli's waist, and then they both got their arms in the air. It's so good. It's like a, a famous silhouette for Borough fans these days. Mm. Now, it's what happens after that that strikes me. When Janino is put back down like a child out of his father's arms <laughs> back on the turf, they have another embrace, right? And it's so one-sided. Another kiss on Janino's cheek, followed by a really tight hug... Ravenelli's face, he sort of buries his face in his neck and has a deep, long sniff. And then he just <laughs> holds on to him. It feels like an eternity. Like, Giannino's trying to run back to the halfway line. And Ravenelli's just clutching him so tight. And Ravenelli like scored the goal. He's, he's, Ravenelli scored a hat-trick at this point. It's like, it's like he's found his long-lost brother. Like, he's really holding on to him for ages. Like, the team was trying to kick off, and Rav's still got hold of him. You just don't see stuff like that anymore. Certainly not in Middlesbrough, anyway. Nowadays, everyone's doing knee slides. And I hate them, by the way. Mm. Tell me, are you a fan of the knee slide? Nah, unoriginal. Wrecks the pitch. It, uh, right. I was watching highlights of... Um, I saw... I think there's a young Borough lad scored a hat-trick in, in midweek this week. And it came up on my Twitter feed. He's done a knee slide for all three of his goals. For goals two and three, his fellow players have joined him on the knee slide, which is like a cardinal sin. That you, let the goal scorer do it, fine. Mm. But not your, not your teammates. But it's to an empty stadium. There's no one there. Running off to the corner flag, doing a, a knee slide to an empty corner. Yeah. Come on. Middlesbrough players shouldn't be doing that. It's it's everyone. Like I just. What about when they do the knee, sl- knee slide and it goes wrong and they land on their face? Well, that that's at least that's interesting. <laughs> but oh, the knee slide! I'm so annoyed of it. We should start a campaign. No mm. more knee slides. Mm. Bring back ninety celebrations where people were dancing and yeah. doing the samba and pulling shirt. I mean, you can't pull your shirt over your head anymore without getting booked. But all that stuff. Where's the character? Where are the characters in this game? 
Anyway, final couple of observations about the highlights of that match, just to bring in the 6-1 game. So, Go on. firstly, how bobbly the pitch was in 1997. Mm. It's, a, it's a joke, albeit it was winter. Lastly, Derby score a free kick to make it 6-1 in the last minute. And Barry Davis, who is the absolute professional, he's almost in disbelief. Stickerless. Paul Simpson is the scorer. So, bear in mind, these are Match of the Day's highlights. You can hear him just sort of dip away from his microphone. Go check, was, was that Paul Simpson? It was, was it? <laughs> Paul Simpson with the goal. You can't believe it's happened. Barry Davies. So, but let's put these highlights on our Twitter account, at the shiny pod, yeah. so listeners okay. can watch them. It sounds... Fantastic. Yeah, seven minutes of entertainment. I know. Sorry, sorry to Daryl Powell that he's, you know, that's the bit we're sharing of him. But it's all we could find on the internet of him, so it's his <laughs> fault. Um, last thing I'll say about Powell and Borough. I was absolutely gutted when I later realised that Powell and Ravenelli played together at Derby a few years later. Ravenelli went to Derby. Oh, he did. And we didn't, we didn't ask him about oh. it in the interview. I was heartbroken when I realised. I thought, let's get him back. Um, With Mr. Sitter. And well, the only thing is, I think Powell must have forgotten as well, because when he named his shiny player, he picked Aranio. He must have forgotten about Ravanelli. Um, he didn't mention the sixth one either, which is a shame, but there you are. Yeah, let's move on then. Listener, the uh, the 1997 Merlin Premier League sticker book well for us, is it's drying up. I don't want to uh, alarm anyone, but mm. can anyone hook us up with a player from the book? Particularly Villa, Blackburn, Coventry, Everton, Liverpool and Man United. We don't have a player... From then, no. we want to complete this book. Schmeichel didn't get back to me on my tweet from last week. Rude it is. There's a, there's a classic football shirt in it for you. And listener, can you just interact with us a bit more? You know, Acast is telling us that <clears throat> we're getting thousands and thousands of downloads each week. But uh, to quote Delia Smith, where are you? <laughs> uh, talk to us. We want stories about any 90s footballer you've met. Uh, have you ever recovered a pair of their shoes from, from a skip? Like listener Dan Sheridan told us he did in season one. What is your crap 90s football memorabilia? Do you still have it or do you miss it? Do you still drink your tea out of a rude hullet model head? Mm. Do you do you still have a kickmaster? Did you have a kickmaster? That dog lead that you could put your football in? My daughter's got one. Oh my god. It's not an official one, but she's 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 four and she's pinging it all over the lounge and <laughs> I'm to like stand in front of the telly. Is it a 90s original or is this a, a, a no, 21st it's century like a, remake? 21st it's a purple like it's almost like a space hopper with a lead attached to it. Oh right. Does the job though. Yeah, I remember the uh I had one in the 90s. It was fantastic. We want to see these items. So, listener, if you've got them or if you had them, you've got pictures, you know, tweet us at the Shiny Pod. Message us on Facebook or Instagram. We're at the Shiny Pod on there too. Or contact us via our lovely Shiny website, searchingforshinies.com. And I need to mention that we've uh, got our Gaza special, which is uh, being worked on as I speak. Uh, have you ever met Gaza? We want to hear about it. I'm jealous. Send us your stories. Mm. We'll read the best out on the documentary special that's uh, soon to be award-winning. Mm-hmm. And uh, just before we go, a few other bits of business. We need those five-star reviews. If you've enjoyed this episode, you owe us one. Get on iTunes and, and give us those five stars. And uh, send this episode to a mate who either loves Daryl Powell, loves World Cup 98, or loves Gary Megson. There's just something in there <laughs> for everyone in that in that part two. So come on, spread the shiny... Mm. 1997 love and last but not least yeah, come on take Pauli's advice keep it really really shiny